0: Back to Settlement Nation podcast. Thanks for tuning in. If you are hearing my voice, Courtney Barber, you are dedicated to your own personal growth as an attorney and continuing to fight the good fight for justice on behalf of your clients. I am here today with a real treat for our listeners: the OGs of Trial by Human, Brian Wood and Jacob Norman. If you haven't been to a Trial by Human event, make sure you listen to the end as we have an opportunity for you guys to register for one coming up next month. However, let's get started. Lots to talk about. Welcome, Brian and Jacob.
1: Hey, good to be here. Thank you.
0: All right. So first things first, I have participated and watched a lot of the Trial by Human events over the past couple of years. And I've seen both of you now teach probably, I would say, hundreds of trial attorneys Um, Jacob, in your last workshop in Arizona, you brought up this really interesting sports analogy that you applied to being a trial lawyer. And I think it's a really great place to start today's podcast.
2: Well, uh, I guess it probably wasn't only Arizona, but, um, you know, Brian and I go around the country with other of our colleagues and really what we learn one thing and, the, the base level thing, what people want is elite results as a trial lawyer. So what does elite mean? And obviously, a lot of people care about sports. And I think sports is the easiest kind of level of eliteness that we understand. And you look at what does someone do and what does it take to become an elite athlete? Well, it's a lot. So for most people that are elite athletes, it starts when they're a kid, you know, whether it's a pop or football, whether, you know, it's little kicker soccer, it doesn't matter what it is. It starts young. And what that does is when they're young, kids get exposed to training. That's sometimes it's it's uh, a little bit of workout. Sometimes it's, you know, scrimmages, but it works up to the actual game. And then they keep going. This goes all the way through school, through college. And once they get to the elite level at, at college or post-college, that keeps going. And what what they're doing, the lawyers aren't doing, that want to be elite is that practice that commitment and it's not just one thing elite athletes do a lot of things they have you know their training regimens they have again they do scrimmages or play games they they stretch they eat well they have trainers some have psychological help there's a whole lot of things that go in to get to that level and then you know you you even look at a sport like football football 16 17 maybe 18 games in a year go to basketball, it might be 80 games in a year or baseball, 150 games in a year. Well, trial lawyers aren't doing 16 to 18 games a year. They're not doing 80 games a year, and they're certainly not doing 160 games a year. But every day of those elite athletes, they're doing something to be better at what they're supposed to be doing. And so by the time we're working with attorneys that want those, what I think, you know, Brian and I and everyone else could agree on Are they putting in the steps that it's required to get there? And obviously this isn't sport, but sports. You don't go in football, play a team that you haven't watched their game tape. We have game tape, right? Our game tape, CVN or actually showing up to a trial, go to anyone in Nick's trials. You're not getting in the courtroom. Probably if you don't get there on time, that's game tape. Why do people not do this? Well, they're busy Do do lawyers feel their bodies the way they're supposed to No. And I'm not the example of that either, but if I want to be better, that's part of what it takes. So you have game tapes, you have practice. Um, there's a whole lot going on where, you know, putting a putting yourself on your own phone for a minute and looking at yourself, well, that's a form of watching your own self. So again, I, I, we don't need to stay in the sports analogies all day, but I always try and, you know, talk to people if you really want what they're getting, because what's the lowest paid uh, you know, NFL players at around 400,000 bucks, something like that a year. Well, all the lawyers we work with want to make more than that. Well, that NFL player probably has at least 20 years of nearly daily practice to get to that point. We have lawyers graduating, uh, you know, law school and hoping to have that in their first year. So it's something that I try and talk about from an analogy standpoint, but I really believe in it. It's not just one thing. It's a lot of things. There's a lot of arrows to go in that quiver, Uh, but this is a starting point of understanding, do you really want to be elite? Because if you do, it's a commitment to a lot of things. So Brian, I know I talked a lot, but this is, this is, I guess, what we do. Well, no, it's all, it's all well said. And really
1: the, the problem why people aren't doing this more is because institutionally, we're just not set up for it, right? We don't, I mean, unless you did trial advocacy in law school at one of maybe 15 or 20 schools that are doing it at a truly elite level, you've never even been given access to practice or scrimmage in the way that we're discussing. Um, You know, the average law school experience is learning how to read appellate cases, which is really useless for a trial lawyer, Um, unless you've got to research one discrete issue. Um, But they don't tell you that this is the process for getting better. And once you become a lawyer, there are very few places where you can go practice, where there's kind of an infrastructure where you can go participate in it. And that's something that, you know, we're working hard to create for ourselves in the community at, at trial by human. But the most important thing is people need to realize how important the practice is number one, but then they have to make it a priority to find in local communities ways to facilitate that, that practice with each other. Um, you know, everyone, we, we all look at Nick Rowley's trials and we're like, God, he's, he's just so good. <laughs> he's just so good. I want to be like that. Well, how, Jacob, how
2: many trials is Nick up to now? It's it's over 175. And, and and this is a guy who just walked out of a trial last week doing the third trial over again, not scared to do it again, and the only one trying to, a trial in the biggest court courtroom in America. And some people just don't have the grit to do that. And it didn't and, start that way
1: right and at 175 that's just games right that that says nothing of the practice that goes behind it and the reps that you have to do and the reviewing of your closing the reviewing of your opening standing up and actually saying it out loud so why is nick that good because he practices harder than anybody else does you know we we teach these trial skills and you know we try to we try to stay off of our feet and try to keep you know, students participating on their feet, but every once in a while, we'll model a portion or a behavior or a mini opening. And everybody goes, well, you make it look so easy. And the reason that you can make it look easy is, you know, speaking for myself, I did go to one of those, uh, those law schools that had an elite trial advocacy program, and I did it for two years. So by the time I got my bar card, I had done 200 trials, 200 trials. And you might say, well, that's fake only, it's only fake in the way that we didn't actually get money at the end, but you still, but you still did the opening. You still did the crosses. You still worked on it, you know? So between, you know, practices and scrimmages and the real deal, it does look easy once you've done it 200 times. That's the point of doing it 200 times.
2: And I think that's important. A lot of people, um, look, we all come with certain things, uh, some, some come tall, some come short, some come narrow, some come wide, but that's not what we're talking about. When you look at what the the greats have done to get there, they go do the craft, right? It's you don't see the greats. Weren't knocking trials out of the park right out of the gate, but what the greats were doing back then, maybe more naturally than some of them is saying, you know what, I'm going to go and whether I win, lose or draw, I'm going to go try. And if they lost, they'd go again. Listen to anyone, you know, listen to old Spence stories, Romano stories, any of the guys, they'll tell you they had the grit to show up and to fight through it. And I think that's where it comes from. So you want to be more like one of those guys? Well, why don't you look at how many trials they have been to? And when, when you look at 100, 125, 150, well, you might be a little bit more close to, to how they are in the courtroom if you've done that. So it's it's not always magic. It's putting in the reps.
1: Well, and the fear of losing is really, really powerful, right? Um, a lot of most people that are going to listen to this are solos or small firms and losing can be pretty devastating emotionally and sometimes even financially. So that's a reality that has to be confronted um, before you get in the right mindset to put in all of that work. And, you know, how many times do we get a phone call from somebody, who, you know, they got their bell rung, they got a bad verdict, they didn't get what they wanted, they didn't get a rally result. Um, and they feel that they've lost, even if it was technically a, a judgment in their favor. And I always tell people the only thing that I ever learned from winning is how awesome I am, and that's not a useful lesson for me. Those defeats are the are the opportunities for learning. So, you know, you got to miss some free throws before you can make them all. Um, and and the losses really are, I mean, they're as crucial as any other component of the practice.
2: Yeah, and Brian, on that end. This is another thing. Let's never forget. By the time the greats are looking pretty great, they've mastered a different skill that is really hard to teach. They know what case to say yes to and what case to say no to. So one of one of my mentors in my town, everyone's like, God, he wins a lot. It's like, well, what you learn is he's good at case selection. So when you get your bell rung, when you knew that case was the bad one, you had a weird feeling in your, in your stomach, but you just thought you might be able to help someone. And the next thing you know, it's Just as bad as you always thought it was. Well, that's a different analysis, but the greats get access to to cases that are actually easier to win. How do you do that? You go lose some, you go win some, you go break even on some, but you keep on going.
0: Now, Jacob, on that point, I want to bring up something that, you know, we have seen at a lot of your events, which is how soon before your trial should you be practicing your openings, your closing, actually getting up on your feet? And Brian, I want to start with you on that one.
1: I think the answer kind of flows into another kind of topic here, which is what you need to do first is know your case. And I think that's something. So let's start with that. And I don't mean mm-hmm. to just rewrite your question. But let's oh, you start should rewrite what, it. <laughs> <laughs> when are you supposed <laughs> to know your case? Because it's, it, there's no point in practicing your case until you know it. So what does that mean to know your case? Well, I think there are kind of two levels to that. One is forensically and from a you know jetliner view. What are the big issues in your case? What are the problems that you're going to have to confront? What are the factual issues? What are the legal issues? Um we're running a lot of cases. And sometimes you file a case, you do some discovery, it's kind of on autopilot. What do you really, really know about how that case is going to proceed at trial? You should know that as quickly as you possibly can. That's not a task that can wait and be calendared backwards from trial. And in addition to knowing your case forensically, there's the other knowledge of the case, which is, what do you actually know about your client? And not what are their injuries and not what are their lost wages, but what do you know about them as a human being? where were they where did they grow up who raised them with what values were they raised what experiences positive and negative informed who they were the day before the thing happened to them that we that we've got a lawsuit about that sounds like a lot but the truth is everything your client did after the crash that's going to be scrutinized by the other side is explained by their life experiences right I was raised in a military house and I was raised to be a Superman male, right? Which means you don't complain, you don't have emotions, you don't cry and you do everything perfectly without complaining. That's the way I was raised. So it explains a lot of things that I do that aren't necessarily great decisions that I make. But if you wanna understand why I do some of the things I do, it's important to understand that that's the way that I was raised. And that's the kind of knowledge that you need to have before you can start practicing.
2: Brian is not gonna say something that I don't agree with on this end. Uh, if you can't tell your client's story, whatever day that is, you're really not in the right business. So it's not unusual for us. You know, we have these gatherings all across the US. We kind of warn people, hey, come ready to, to talk about a case. And by the way, don't talk about an old one. I don't wanna help you fix an old problem. I want to help you develop a case that's going to go to trial, even if it's 92% likely that it won't, right? So folks show up and we're like, okay, time to get on your feet. Tell us this, that. And they're like, I'm trying to think of a case. And you're like, okay, all right, we'll give you some time for that. Maybe you don't need to be first. And then right after that, uh, we ask a couple questions and we find out pretty instantly, On average, folks aren't really in tune with most of their cases. Maybe there's one. Maybe they're going through the motions and have never really learned that. So the human story in learning this, everything Brian starts starts at intake. Now, I don't care if you use intake software, if you say, hey, I get referred cases or this or that, but the intake is the first time your team is talking to that person. And you ought to be learning about them. You don't learn about them to say, how, how have you been since the incident? You don't, don't learn by them to say, what was it like the day before, you know, and I've, I've talked about this before. Um, where was that person born? One question to get to know your client is why, why is your name, what your name is? So if if people ask me that about Jacob and why does it have a K? Well, my grandpa, uh, went to world war II. He met my grandma in Munich that was her father's name, Jacob with a K, Jakob, that's you're starting to learn about me just in why did my parents name me what I did? And and maybe some people don't know that. And that's not a question I'm saying ask every time, but my gosh, in minutes you can get to know someone. In those same minutes where you get to know that, then you understand what happened to them. You're now a ten times better advocate because you can feel it, you can imagine it. You You know, maybe a couple of you even thought what it might have been like for my grandpa to meet my grandma in Germany during the war or the process where they had to actually ride a boat back here together. Now these images are coming to life. Well, the sooner you do that in those images, it's like any other movie you've watched. They don't leave your head. You're a better better advocate. So, Courtney, neither one of us have answered your questions. We've both been lawyers. Let me tell you this. Let's say what it's not. It's not the week before. It's not two weeks before it's from the beginning. And, and then, then you start putting that to work. And again, if we want to stick with, uh, uh, you know, athletic stuff, I know Courtney, there's top, like right now, there's a top three or four on Netflix right now is cheer.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, You've well, been watching it, Jacob. Don't lie. And, <laughs> And so is Brian. I finished it last night. Yes. And we actually do want to thank you for bringing that up, Jacob. I always love to get in a little, a little cheer talk whenever I can. Um, You know, I found that really interesting because in the show, and if you see it, you see they do this thing called full outs, which is when they do their full practice the first time it's really shitty, but then they're hoping by the end before their big, uh, you know, presentation that they've done it 31 times, 41 times, 51 times. Brian, I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, not the practice of cheer so much, but they're taking that for maybe a two and a half minute presentation. And they're doing that for at least starting six months before bits and pieces, pulling it out, filming themselves, seeing what's right, seeing what's wrong. And then I've seen people come to trial by human and, you know, it's great that they come and they're trying to do this stuff, but their cases and their trials are pretty soon and you know that they haven't even done one full out or put that on their schedule. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about that.
1: I will talk about cheer. I was a yell eater at USC. It was great fun. And the truth is we, we had to do full outs. We weren't competitive, but we were doing really dangerous stuff. And number one we wanted it to look good and number two we didn't want to break our necks and, and proverbially proverbially the same is true for trial you don't you want it to look good and you don't want to break your neck in the courtroom so get it tight get it together there's so many different ways to come at this and to get a, a quote full out done so number one before you get into a quote full out for your trial You should be talking to people you know about your case. Just talk to them about it and find out what they want to know. The more times you tell the story, the more you discover the rhythms of it. And once you're comfortable just talking about it generally, well, uh, let's do a full out. What does that look like? How do I do that? And the answer is there's a number of ways you can do it. I promise every listener right now within proximity to where you're sitting, there is one of the following, a law school with a courtroom that's available for your use. You simply have to call reserve and maybe pay a modest fee. There is a lawyer somewhere in your town that already built a mock courtroom in his office. There is Craigslist uh, where you can get people to show up for pizza and listen to you talk and talk back to you. We call that a focus group. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There are bar organizations in your state that have courtrooms that are available for your use. There are other attorneys in your town that need this as badly as you do. So- all of the above some of the above what you got to do is simply schedule out a time to actually do it and go to a place that makes it feel like you're doing it for real you got to practice like you play sometimes and it's important to move around a courtroom and to you know to just get comfortable standing and moving am i going to move during my opening when am i going to move am i moving for purpose or am i moving because i'm nervous can I go back and look at it on tape and say, wow, I really, really hate the way I look. I really, really hate the way I sound. Um, if you don't know those answers, then you're guessing on what's going to happen at trial. And boy, we're fiduciaries and we kind of owe it to our clients to not guess.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I don't know as much about cheer. I was the uh, the school mascot at Boise State University. So I just got to hang out with the cheerleaders and, and I understand there's a popular show and hey, maybe Monica Aldama out of Corsicana, Texas is doing the right thing. When she says one year we're going to do 31 full outs and that's what it takes to win. But the next year, even after she wins, she says we're going to do 51. And a full out, to as long as we keep going down this analogy, that's the whole thing. Every day they're doing multiple parts of the same thing over and over and over again. And they're picking the hard parts, right? The So, if again in cheerleading, if the if the pyramids are the hard part, the most dangerous, and the things where you lose the most ap- amount of points for a fall, well, where does that happen with the jury? That happens in Vordire and opening, I would argue. Now, can you clean up a little bit in closing? Well, depends what the other side did. It may be too late. So our equivalent of practicing fallouts, like Brian's talking about, is getting in there and doing it, getting on your feet. If we practice something as we drive in our car, that's not the same as standing on your feet. You don't know if you're fidgety. You don't know if you shake the change in your pocket. You don't know if you click your pin lid or if you, you know, just aren't engaged. And Brian's right. When we went to, to University of Arizona Law School, one of the nicer new law schools I've seen, uh, we got charged 150 bucks to use a, a great courtroom for a day. <laughs> there is no argument not to be doing that in your communities. That is too cheap, too easy. Not only that, lawyers will come for free. Craigslist people will come for almost free. Some people will come for beer or pizza. Get on your feet and do what you do in front of people. I just had a focus group on a trial that was supposed to go a couple weeks ago. Uh, We did one and learned a lot of valuable information. Every single time, there's something new that you learn. Every single time you learn, there's something that you can do better. And that's, again... uh, compared to competitive cheerleading, competitive football, it doesn't matter. You do it over and over because then it becomes muscle memory. Again, that's what the greats have. The greats aren't reading about how to explain a TBI two weeks before their trial. The greats go understand a TBI the way a doctor talks about it, a TBI. When you see a great talk to a doctor, sometimes it's indistinguishable. Who knows more? Now, obviously... There's a lot of doctors that can beat a lot of us up. But when you watch a lawyer in trial that knows medicine, it's a whole different experience than one that doesn't. I was at a trial in Colorado where the guy hardly asked any questions of the expert. And this was actually defense counsel, so it was good. And afterwards, my partner asked him, hey, you know, why, why didn't you ask so much? He goes, I couldn't beat him. I don't know the medicine. And he flat out admitted he didn't do it because he didn't know, which that is the first step of, of improvement. Right? You see things, I saw as colleges having a cadaver lab. Well, if you want to learn a little bit about the body, that's a great place to do it. Um, so, again, how can you master your trade? And that's what we're trying to encourage people to do. It doesn't come from any one seminar, it doesn't come from us, it doesn't come from you name them. There's great people doing great seminars. It doesn't come from showing up, it doesn't come from just listening, and it doesn't come from taking good notes. It comes from when you apply all that to your own practice and we not law practice practicing being a lawyer which is practicing courtroom skills
1: and let me just kind of move the bar a little bit here right because we've been talking about some pretty lofty stuff like nba players you know navarro cheer i mean people that have the time and the structure to dedicate a thousand repetitions you don't as a lawyer You, you you don't have that time we get it but what's important to recognize is that Doing it two times is better than doing it one time. Doing it five times is better than two. We see in sessions that literally the second time you do your mini opening, literally the second time you do it on your feet, it's better. It's better the second time. So I don't want to create this impression that if you're not doing 100 fake jury trials to practice every year that you're not living up to it. No, the the rewards compound almost immediately. So it's really just carving out manageable chunks of time and doing it, right? How much time does it take to do your mini opening once a week in front of people, your office, your family, your colleagues, a focus group? How long does that take you? You don't have that time? I don't think that's true. It's simply a matter of recognizing the value that you get out of any amount of practice and repetition and just building it in. If you've got a staff meeting every Monday at 9 a.m., why don't you have a mini opening every Friday at 4.30? why not? So little effort can, can yield huge results and huge improvements.
2: Yeah. And I think, Brian, to your point, as you, as you get through the grind, you'll find your schedule opens up for even more of this, right? But if you're nug, if you're fighting everything and you're writing seven page response letters and, you know, you're, you're, you're engaging in that type of law practice, that will only take away from the courtroom practice. So you know, point well taken, Brian do, but you know, those cheerleaders still go to school, right? They have other things in their life. They have relationships and, and, you know, elite athletes are slightly different by the time they're getting paid what they're getting paid. That's really all they're supposed to be doing. And really same for us. So how do we have that find not only a work life balance, a work, work balance. So what efforts are you putting into what tasks? Um, we co-counsel with people across the U S and, and, Uh, oftentimes the different relationships work really well because what they are, I'm not, and what I am, they're not, and so that works. But I start to learn uh, about how people are practicing, and I learn a lot of people are doing a lot of things daily that don't actually make them better lawyers. They spend a lot of time, effort, and energy being mad at someone, or I got a call from a friend, and he'll probably listen and know I'm talking about him, so I am talking about you. (laughs) You called me. And told me that (laughs) you're so mad that the other side lied. And I, this is what the other side does. They do lie. And sometimes we catch them and sometimes we can't. But that is not something that you can spend your time focusing on. The same amount of phone call if we worked with him on practicing Bordire and he'll call me and do this is way better time spent than all this energy going to the wrong parts of our practice. We cannot get caught up in you know, fighting with defense counsel, fighting with adjusters. And does it happen? Of course it happens. But could you get the same point across in three sentences versus three pages? I typically believe if you take more time, you could write a shorter, better response. Or sometimes,
1: well, I mean, sorry, Brian. Yeah, well, it's I mean, it comes down to mindset, really. You know, you've been trained to do X, Y, Z tasks in managing your PI practice. So that's what you do. And that becomes your identity. But you have to decide, are you going to be a trial lawyer? Because if you're going to be a trial lawyer, there are other tasks that have to go into your schedule, things like practicing and knowing your client's story. So my phone call this morning was with an adjuster on a multi seven-figure case. Um, Disputed liability, but I think we're going to win it. And the thing is, that's probably my next trial, and I'm ready to try it right now. I already know my mini opening. I know what my voir dire looks like. I know my client's story. I'm ready for the trial. So when the adjuster calls me up and we're talking about what's going to happen about settlement negotiations, I tell her, I expect this case is going to settle. And the reason I expect it's going to settle is because I'm so ready for trial that you'd be foolish. And the truth is, she agreed with me on all of those points. She said that case probably is going to settle and you do have a clean case and you're going to do it quickly. And, you know, I've done the work on all of that. I'm ready to go. And frankly, if it doesn't settle, I don't care. Right. I I don't have that mindset on this case. I've done all of the work on this case. And if it doesn't settle, I don't care. I'm not disappointed in that because if I have to go try it, that's my job. So I'm just going to show up and do it. I'm ready for it. It's clean. It'll be done in three days. So let's go or, or pay me to settle, whichever.
0: And so Brian, I really like that. And I just want to recap the last couple of things we spoke about before we start talking about some upcoming events you guys, guys have. So Today, we spoke about you know, what's really important is understanding your case, first off, understanding your client, and then practice. And one thing that you know we haven't really spoken about, but we will right now, is some people don't know how to practice, but the good thing is you guys will teach them how to practice. So let's both talk about uh, some trial by human events coming up and what people need to come prepared with for these events. Brian, I want to start with you.
1: I'm going to leave the schedule, talk to Jacob because I don't have it in front of me, but it's coming <laughs> up <laughs> and it'll be very exciting. Um, but I think to get the most out of of the program that we put on, I mean, look, it's really all in service of, of the attendees and even more so it's in service of their clients. So what our hope and our expectation is, is if you show up with a case that you're passionate about, um, that's maybe you're worried about it, maybe you're pumped for it. But show up ready to talk about that case. Know everything about your client and know what the facts and the legal issues are. Because a lot of times what we see is somebody stands up and we notice there's a quote, you know, quote problem area in their case. And we say, well, what does your client have to say about that? Or why did your client do that? And they go, well, I don't don't know. So if we can get that kind of level of work done beforehand, then what we've got is we've got a structure that you can hang all of that preparation on. And we'll give you um, tools and practices and exercises that are replicable. So we're, look, we're out here giving it away. So once you see it, uh, once you see how we run the exercises, you can run the exercises. You can go get your 10 referral sources or your 10 buddies or, or your local bar organization. And you can do it for yourself. These are all highly replicable
2: and um, and they work. <laughs> Yeah, Brian, and that's right. So the, the funny thing is we keep saying the word practice. What other thing in life do you practice where you just decide how and what to do and that you're magically going to get better? If it's a yoga practice, you you would follow a teacher. You know, if it's a martial arts practice, you have a sensei. If it's, you know, football, you have a coach. But a lot of, you know, plaintiff's lawyers are out there doing it alone, thinking, that they're going to get there. And the the fact of the matter is, is we all are an incubator. We don't, we're not going to come to any one of these with every right answer. But as we work through each person's issues, we are better five minutes after than when we started. And 15 minutes after that, the person's case has already gained value. And that's the important part about practice. And I've talked about this before, but if the average plaintiff's law firms 2.5 people across the U.S., well, how the heck are you going to do what needs to be done to raise the bar for all of us? Well, you start working together. You, you go to local groups. You talk to people. There's Some towns have TLC local groups. Some have bar association local groups. There's a whole lot of stuff out there, but don't mistake practice for something that you can do by yourself. This yeah. is a sport that is not a solo sport. And if you feel like it's a solo sport, I would really want to counsel you to to start, you know, talking to other people about cases, trying a case with somebody else. You'll Your mind will be blown just to see a couple different things. Maybe it's their their firm management software. Maybe it's how they prep for trial. Maybe it's how they do that focus group from day one of doing something with someone other than how you're doing it or who you're doing it with, I, I think is uh, game changing for what we're talking about. So Brian... Thanks for putting me on the spot about dates. Upcoming dates, we have February 8th in Kansas City, February 9th in St. Louis. We are teaching you how to be ready for trial, not, in this case, not by standing your feet. We're going to teach you how every single one of ours, which includes NICS, trials is prepared using a trial binder. We call it our red binder. We're going to teach you the flow, how it works, the importance of it, and teach you how to put your own together. So for that, we're actually bringing our red binders. We're bringing our pre-made tabs we're going to walk people through it because that's one more thing. It's like a playbook, right? Nobody's showing up um, with, on these any of these teams, making up the playbook as they go. But what do, what do we get caught in? Well, a lot of times we get caught in uh, putting out fires. We're making the playbook up as we go because, oh, my gosh, 90% settled. Now I'm stuck going to trial. I don't want to hear that. Be ready to go to trial. We're going to help you get ready to go to trial. And we're going to do these real practical courses. At the end of May, we're going to be somewhere outside of Des Moines. Uh, Not quite sure where. That's going to be a more traditional course. Two to three, maybe three and a half days. But here's what Brian and I are doing a little differently this year. We know Nick and Courtney have to do Nick and Courtney stuff, which is go win the big cases. We're going to bring to you a a shorter but more uh, focused, practical uh, courses across the U.S. uh, We've been asked to do some stuff in West Palm. We've been asked to do stuff in Texas, Rhode Island, Boston. We're going to come to your community, and we're going to come and and help you on specific tasks. Is it Redbinder stuff? Is it uh, just Vordire? It doesn't matter what it is, but they're one-day courses, nine to three. We're going to have lunch together, and we're going to work on these. So how do you do it? Uh, you can contact Brian or I, and we'll see uh, about how we can fit that into our schedule, our commitment. Is to get this out to more people. We keep getting asked, can we do this on Zoom? It is hard to do on Zoom. This is something that the loss of fidelity over Zoom is unexplainable. And I'm not against Zoom. COVID has proved how much we can do on Zoom. The problem is, is we having real interactions. We're we're looking in your eyes. We're feel we we feel the energy, and it's a little bit different, right? It's like if you a lot of people ask me for Nick's transcripts, and if you read Nick's transcripts, you can't see what Nick is doing in the courtroom. You won't always understand exactly the magic that was happening. So Brian and I made a personal commitment last year that we're gonna be available in more of your towns and we need you to reach out to us if you want us to come. And uh it's it's that easy. Brian, you want I mean, this is our commitment, right? That's our commitment.
1: Uh, by the way, I agree with Zoom. You got to be in the room. So let's get in some rooms together. Let's get facts. Let's keep our masks. <laughs> let's let's do it safe. Let's do it right. But let's get better this year, because uh, the opportunities are extraordinary. So you can reach me, Brian, Brian Ward, uh, Brian with an I at tl4j. That's the number 4 tl4j com. You can hit Jacob with a K at Jacob at tl4j com. Um, and Perfect. the You know, the programs that we're prepared to offer right now include Vardier. They include mini opening and opening. Uh, It includes um, advanced settlement uh, opportunity letters. It includes trial binders. Um, These are ready to roll right now, and they're all, they all interlink with each other, and they're all the essential parts to know your case and give you some structure around which you can practice.
2: That's right. And hey, for those of you that don't that want to make a phone call, you can call 866-TL4J Law and ask for Brian or I. We will not answer the phone, but we will follow up with a message. Uh again, 866-TL4J Law. Uh for those of you that wanna make a phone call versus uh type it in.
0: Well, thank you both so much. And as they said, February 8th and 9th, uh, Trial by Human. But if this is something that you would like in your own hometown, please reach out to either of them or you can DM me on Instagram at Settlement Nation or just reply to the podcast. I'll be happy to put you in touch with both of them. Jacob has his hand up. Go, Jacob.
2: Courtney, should uh, Trinity Valley beat Navarro next year or what's going to happen in next year's cheer season? We need a prediction.
0: You know what? I think Monica's going to come back with vengeance. I think that she had a difficult year, but um, there's a real fire within her. I'd like to see, you know, her take home the the trophy again but we'll have to wait and see and by that time we'll have a bunch of new trialers out there in the field killing it in the game so thank you once again brian and jacob from trial by human as we said all dates will be listed below if you love settlement nation rate subscribe and comment on this podcast we are top three in trialer podcasts and apple podcasts big names coming up even bigger thanks to these two legends and we'll see you next time
2: stay human